As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday on The Athletic Podcast Network. And it's another edition of Hoops Adjacent on The Athletic MBA Show. I am David Aldridge in D.C., Waz Lambre out in LA. Waz, what's up, my man? I'm good. I'm good. Just just hanging in there, brother. Just hanging in there. Stretch run of the season. It still kind of feels like the dog days, but unlike Luka Doncic, I'm still looking forward to the playing nah. game. Yeah, I saw Luka ain't feeling that tournament, huh? <laughs> ain't feeling the playing. <laughs> you know, I kind of understand what he's saying, but you know, I understand hey. what he's saying because he's knocking on the door of it. If he was a right, three right. seed, I, I don't think he would be caring. He I wouldn't give a damn, seen. right? <laughs> you get that right. You get that right. So, man, I was there was a couple of things that I thought we might want to jump off on, but I decided to go with DMX over Kyrie. Maybe we'll do Kyrie next week. Sure, um, but. Um, I did want to talk about DMX for just a couple of minutes. Um, I was a fan. Uh, mm. wasn't hardcore like like I know a lot of people were, but I was right. definitely a fan. I understand the influence. I understand how important he was to the community. And, you know, just wanted to pay my respect to him and his family. And just, you know, it just points out again and again how insidious – you know, addiction is, man, it doesn't yep. stop. It doesn't, you don't, you're not over it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, what's the name? Philip Seymour Hoffman. He didn't get over it. You know, right. John Belushi, he didn't get over it. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, um, and unfortunately it looks like, like, like DMX had a relapse as well, but I don't want to talk about that as much as just the influence he had, you know, hearing from, you know, just people on the radio locally here in DC that were really, really, really upset by it and touched by it. And, and his legacy, you know, and his gift. I mean, literally nobody sounded like this guy. You know what I mean? Like he had, he had a sound that nobody else had. And I, and I respect the, the grind and I respect the talent that he had. Um, and a lot of people pointed out, and this is where I, you know, I need to, I, I'm happy to be more educated on these things. A lot of people pointed out that, you know, he really came at, at that moment right after, the East Coast, West Coast thing, it kind of finally started to die down a little bit. X kind of came in there and, and filled a, filled that void with, with some incredible beats. And, um, you know, I know he was he was a New Yorker, so I know that yeah. that's, yeah. <laughs> I know that's important. It's, you, it, it, you know, you can't even overstate the guy's impact when he came out um, in 1998. 
uh, on another show that me and Jay do together, I was explaining to the guys and gals that like at the time in rap, it was the the what, what they call now the Jiggy era, which was Puff and even yeah. Jay Z to an extent of you know guys talking about capitalistic excesses, the yeah, cars, right. the the clothes, the houses and mansions in the Hamptons and X Y and Z. That was sort of the dominant form of rap music in 1998. Like as far as what what went number one, not that there weren't plenty other rappers who were successful who weren't doing doing that but that was the dominant form that's what got the most radio spins and this guy comes in and he's talking about poverty he's talking about being yeah. homeless he's talking about um growing up without a family he's talking about going to prison or what, what was like a prison camp for uh, troubled youths at seven and eight years old right and spending six years there uh his music you know, for me, it, it, it was for the underdogs. It was for the outcasts, the black sheep, the downtrodden, right? Like that's who DMX spoke to in his music because that's what his existence was. And yeah. to think that in 1998, when he, you know, he finally drops his debut album, His Darkest and Hell is Hot. And then it, later on in the year, he drops another album flesh of my flesh blood of my blood they both go number one multi-platinum in the same year and to think that he did that while at that time battling a, you know intense drug addiction yeah. you know <laughs> like you yeah. can put out an album that is both artistically you know has integrity and and he's an artist in in every single sense of the word but also commercially successful while being afflicted by you know, this disease of, of drug addiction, you know, it's just an, it's, it's a miracle. And I think just spoke to his talent and his spirit that like people just, his stuff just res, it touched people in a different way. Like for me, I was, I was not a mega DMX fan. Mm -hmm. There were plenty of songs of his, <clears throat> excuse me, that I really love, but you know, I know I'm the reason why I know I'm not a mega DMX fan is because I personally know people who are yeah, who live and die right, by right. this guy's music. Yeah. And it and it's because his music spoke to them in a certain pain that they were themselves feeling in their own lives. And you know, that's what I think was the coolest part. He made impact he made music that actually penetrated, um, that impacted people like spiritually and yeah. emotionally. So he's just a legend, he's just a special guy. You know, it's a deep loss for for everybody. I, I, I was really moved by so many people. As I said, I listened to a lot of local radio stations on, on last week, Thursday and Friday. And so many people who were in recovery said, you know, he inspired mm -hmm. me. You know, when I was at my lowest, it was it was DMX who, who, you know, showed me there was a way out. I could get out if I, you know, and then there were other things that that happened as well. But, you know, to have that you know, a real role model in that sense, you know, of a guy that was able to kind of um, transcend where he was and, and provide a, a North star for a lot of people that, that were in recovery and that still are in recovery. I just was really touched by that, you know, that this wasn't about, you know, five straight albums going to number one. This was about a guy really, you know, preaching without, being in the pulpit, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, <laughs> and really touching people in their hearts where, they, where it really did some good. And that just makes him, that transcends to me a lot of what, you know, what we talk about when we, when we talk about rap music, or we talk about any music really, it's just kind of like getting caught up in the commercial success. Did it go number one? Did it win a Grammy? Did it, you know, did it win a BET? Did it win, you know what I mean? Like all of those things 
Did it win the Source Awards and all that stuff? And it's just that's not what matters. The music's got to touch you somewhere. And and this guy really touched people. And like you said, not the people that that already were doing okay. It was the people that really were were forgotten. People that were not, you know, not taken care of. And and this guy really, really touched them. And I just love, I just love the way he he you know. His lyrics were, were I just love the way he turned a lyric. I mean, just it was the combination of the yeah. voice and everything. And um, you know, just a true legend, man. And, a true, um, true legend. And, you know, just to and you know, we don't need to litigate American history and economic policy, X, Y, and Z, but like, you know, DMX is an era, he's he's a product of um, the drug war and the crack era, yeah. quote unquote, and what it means to have been deeply affected by that stuff to even, once you even escape it and you reach superstardom, a lot of this stuff never leaves you. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's something that's, that's something that I want people to think about because it's important, <laughs> you know, like we brush these things aside because a lot of times they're not afflicting us, but even a guy like DMX who could transcend all of that stuff growing up in Yonkers in New York City in the 80s uh, where it was, you know, it could be quite desolate in certain places of the city back then. Right. It's not right. as it wasn't as safe haven that it is no. now. Right. Um, so, you know, to come up out of that and, and reach that success. But, you know, having that struggle never really leave you and the things that scarred you by how you how he was raised, you know, it's tough. But. Again, this guy left a remarkable legacy. His music is literally never going to die. So, you know, we give it up to DMX. Rest in peace and peace to his family and all the people who loved and care, cared about him. Man, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, hard to segue from that, but that's what we have to do. So we will take a quick break. We'll bring in Chris Herring from ESI in, in just a minute to just talk about all kinds of NBA stuff, starting with the Nuggets, oh. who had a mega loss on Monday night. Sub no stop drop shut him down open up shop oh no that's how rough fighters roll stop drop shut him down open up shop oh no that's how rough fighters roll niggas wanna try what? niggas wanna lie Back on Hoops Adjacent, joined now by our buddy Chris Herring from Sports Illustrated. They built a great NBA staff there with Chris, our man Howard Beck, and and uh, Chris Mannix. But Herring, good to good to talk to you again, man. How's everything going? I'm doing okay, guys. It's good to good to talk to you all. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, look, want to start with with the Nuggets? Um, just terrible because I was really getting excited about Denver. Because I don't think people understand Denver in the summer is great. It's beautiful, you know. It's beautiful. It's got a little breeze to it. And I was like, I could, I could do a Denver Finals. I could get into that, <laughs> you know. Like that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but um, huge loss on Monday night with Jamal Murray going down for the season with the ACL, and it's really a double whammy because it's so late in this season that you know he's going to miss a big chunk of next season too, probably. So. You don't recover from that, man. And I just, you know, there's no way to replace them. Do they have any chance in the playoffs without them? 
Oh man, I, I'm right there with you where, you know, I've, I've been trying to beat the drum a little bit more. I, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago that I figured, I don't think I look to write provocative stuff necessarily. I think sometimes you try to, I, I try to push the line as far as I can within rational reason. And so I, you know, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago about does rebounding matter anymore? And of course it does, you know, but mm-hmm. basically putting arguments out there that, um, why front offices are viewing it differently and how rebounding has changed was probably the more, you know, concise way to explain what the article is about. And, you know, so I'm, I'm big on, you know, providing evidence for stuff. And um, along with that sort of piece, you know, I wrote something, I think the week before that or the week after that piece, um, saying that, I you know, I don't see any way that Jokic doesn't win the MVP. You know, people, mm-hmm. including at my own publication, have kind of been <laughs> – creating these arguments and laying out these arguments for everybody else. And it's like, you know, at a certain point, particularly with fans, as you hear people beating this drum and trying to talk Rudy Gobert in the, you know, the high levels of that conversation and everything else, it's like, have you watched the Nuggets this year? It, it, it really kind of feels like that basic of a question. Yeah. Um, when you watch the way Jokic has dominated, and, and quite frankly, they've been as hot as any team in the league up until two, three games ago. Um, despite Murray not even being in the lineup. And so they were just on fire. You know, they, they were hitting a softer spot in their schedule compared to a team like Portland. Um, yeah. And it, it felt real. And, you know, their offense, Michael Porter had like, a, what, a 15 or 20-game stretch in a row of shooting better than 50% and looks like, you know, a borderline star on top of Murray and Jokic and, it felt real and it, it didn't feel like hype to me anymore. Um, you know, they had already been to the conference finals last year, you know, however weird or strange that was with them coming back from three, one twice. Um, it just yeah. felt like they were right on the cusp and that, you know, really they should have had as good a chance as anybody to come out of the West. And yeah, it's just really hard to imagine that now, you know, a couple games you can kind of get through. And there's so much of this that, um, I made some comparison to it last night on Twitter, but the more I think about it, the more I think it's accurate. Um, no, Murray wasn't the best player on this team, so it's it's not completely one-to-one as far as the Derrick Rose injury with the Bulls um, the first time he got hurt. But there's some element of this that feels that way, where this was a team that you know didn't quite make it last year um, and were kind of fighting through the the, the nagging injuries that, Jamal had earlier the season and, you know, he took some time off a little bit of time off and then comes back and gets hurt right at the end of a game that, you know, yeah. that was essentially over and too late in the season to where, you know, there's no chance he can come back and, and a year where they legitimately would have had a shot to win the thing. And it, it's brutal from that standpoint. It's just brutal. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, people are going to mention the fifth game and seven nights element to this, which I think matters. Uh, 
you know, when when they decided to come back in December in order to get their calendar back right for next season, everybody kind of understood that this was the dummy season. This was the <laughs> sacrificial lamb of a season, if you will, that just had to happen right. in order for them to both recoup the money and get their real schedule back for next season. And so, you know, these games are very... The, the schedule is very condensed and guys are playing a lot. And I think the quality of play has suffered because of it, but it's to be understood. It's to be expected. Like teams like the Lakers and heat had a two month turnaround, you know, and this isn't just a 50 game season. They're playing 72, which is damn close to 82. Mm-hmm, so right. it's, it's unfortunate that these were going to be some of the things that had to happen in order to get this season off. As far as Denver, you know, before before this injury, I to me, they had the second most reliable offense in the NBA outside of Brooklyn. So meaning Brooklyn, obviously, that this the superstar talent offensively is what it is. We all understand that. But to me, I thought the Denver Nuggets, as far as like scoring at a reliable rate against set half court playoff defenses, to me, they were the second best offense in the league. Um, but now that changes things. I think in the regular season, nobody's going to have to tell Michael Porter Jr. to shoot more. Neither will they have to. Say, <laughs> neither will they have to say that to Will Barton um, and even Aaron Gordon, who we, we've seen in his early sort of stretches with the new team. He hasn't been as aggressive trying to find his shot. So I think they're going to be fine for the playoffs. But the way Murray played in the playoffs last year, right. where he was a one-on-one killer, yeah. not to mention what he was doing in pick and roll, they're going to miss that in the playoffs. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I think you know when you go back a year or two ago, cause I, I, I picked Jokic as my MVP last year and I'm like, damn, I should have, should have had him for this year. Um, but so much of what people were wondering when you looked at kind of the nuggets flaws and, and, you know, quite frankly, us having to get used to kind of what a new age dominant center looks like or can look like the question for so many people was even if Jokic is dominant, the fact that he's not their lead ball handler, um, you know, obviously that they have Murray, all these other teams, whether it's, you know, the Warriors with Steph or Portland with Dame or, you know, even down to the, the lower level teams. You look at Washington with, with Bradley Beal or anything. Um, mm-hmm. These are guys that have the ball every possession. And Jokic obviously touches it most possessions, but you can also go a possession or two without him having to get a touch um, because he's just not the the lead guard. He's not bringing the ball down the floor most of the time. And I think it's why you've even seen New Orleans kind of move to that, that strategy with Zion lately. But um, so you can, you can run your offense through them, but there just come times where, you know, a team is going to force you to, you know, force the ball out of your hands the same way we've seen with Dame lately in Portland. And when that happens, um, that's great. You know, you've got guys that can obviously score, but you, man, when it comes down to it late in the game, would you rather have, you know, Jokic or Murray with the ball, someone that's put up 50 pieces in the playoffs and, you know, your MVP probably, or, you know, you're, you're going to have to trust guys that, you know, quite frankly, haven't really had to do that much. Uh, Gordon, you know, he's been a great fit so far, but you know, is he going to be able to knock down big shots in the playoffs? He's been there before, but it's not a regular thing for him. Um, And it's not, you know, a lot of these guys on this team are still somewhat young. Um, a lot of these guys kind of clam up, even just the last couple of games, we've seen that a little bit where 
Mike Malone's rotation, especially in that Boston game, was kind of yeah. jar- jarring to watch him let Boston just run off a, a 20 to one run or whatever that was. I don't even know that he called timeout while Jokic and the rest of the starters were, were on the bench. And so th- there, there's some shortcomings with this team that you can probably cover up well enough when you've got your starters playing extended minutes in the playoffs. But um, like, like we were saying, you know, I, I still think they could maybe win around because, you know, I think Jokic will probably be, you know, the best player. I mean, he'll be the MVP probably. And so you could argue he'll be the best player and close to any series that they play. But at a certain point, you need one other guy that can just go get you a basket. And Murray was that person. He, he was maybe a little bit less consistent than you'd like, but he finally started to kind of turn it back on and look much closer statistically to the player he was in the, in the bubble. Um, despite all these injuries he'd been dealing with. And it, it just sucks that he, yeah. you know, that he got hurt in the last minute, minute and a half of the game that was essentially decided already. Yeah. And every season is different. There was no guarantee that, that he would be able to replicate that in the, you know, in the playoffs this year, but but he certainly showed up. My experience has always been when a guy does that once, they usually can do it again. You know yeah. what I mean? No matter, no matter what other teams come up with. So, so if, you know, if we kind of, I'm not saying eliminate Denver, but I'm saying Denver obviously is not as good and not as big a threat in the West. Who do you think that helps in the West as we get ready for the playoffs? Cause I got to tell you, man, I watched Utah last night when they played the wizards and, and, and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Wizards aren't good, man. <laughs> the Wizards, and the Wizards dropped a buck 20 on them like it was nothing. You know, like it wasn't like the Wizards were making all these incredible shots. It was just, you know, dribble penetration, kick to the open guy, hit a three or get to the front of the rim. And Beal made two or three really, really tough shots, you know, over Gobert, but which you probably wouldn't normally expect. But but I. I don't know. You something's wrong with Utah. They're not the same team they were to me at the All Star break. They they've been a weird case. I mean, I was watching their game the other night against the Kings, and it was the same sort of thing where they, you know, sometimes they don't really come through until the very end. If if they do it all, obviously Washington got the best of them. But they, it's strange because they they now are at a point where defensively they're obviously still really 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 good. Um, but a lot of it, you know, is going to come down. We, we talked about earlier the idea of, like, do you have a guy or two that can just get you points and, and get you buckets at the end of a close game? And I think my biggest question about them still is is Donovan Mitchell. You know, last year I had high hopes for them. It, it's weird. I, I keep I'm, – I'm one year off with everything where I, I loved them last <laughs> year um, going into that season because, like, oh, they've got Conley now. And Conley's going to take the pressure off of – some pressure – off of Donovan Mitchell. He won't have to do as much. He won't have to handle the ball as much. And, you know, the same way that I felt about Jokic being the MVP last year um, going into that season. And now this year has kind of, you know, been the the true, you know, the the proof for them where they looked a lot better than kind of the way I expected them to look last year. Conley needed some time to settle in. But Mitchell, for people that kind of argue that he should be in the conversation and 
people thinking that Utah's season kind of makes them deserving to have an MVP candidate or what have you. Mitchell still has a, a, a decent number of games. He, he'd been better lately, but he still has those games where he shoots six for 23. And, <laughs> you know, I he gets to the line enough to where sometimes you can live with that. And you've got a guy like Joe Ingles who's so efficient, you know, 72, 73% true shooting percentage or whatever. And so you have some things that balance it out. But I do worry a little bit that they they are so reliant on the three ball now. And they do other stuff where Gobert – you know, still is a threat, you know, a lob threat and stuff like that. And like I said, Mitchell will get to the line, but they, they are so reliant now that if they go cold in a series, um, you know, from the three point line, they're taking so many of them, maybe, you know, they can survive um, a game or two where they're not doing as well. And maybe their defense gives them enough leeway with that. But it is, it is something that I do get a little bit concerned about. I, I I wonder a little bit if maybe they kind of let their guard down when they play teams that aren't quite as good, um, you know, but they've also been so dominant the whole season that I still kind of have to give them the edge over most teams. Uh, and going back to your question, like who, who do I think this helps? Um, I think that might be a question of kind of where Denver falls now. I thought pretty solidly they'd probably finish as a top three, certainly a top yeah. four seed. It's probably a little bit holder, uh, harder to, to kind of hold the rope here now. Um, their offense, it doesn't fall off a cliff at all without Murray, but it, it does get, what, 10, 11 points worse per 100 possessions, which is pretty significant, uh, particularly for a team that is, you know, okay on defense. It's sometimes not very good on defense. Um, so, you know, I, I look at a team like the Clippers potentially, you know, um, that – Really, the Clippers uh, are breathing a sigh of relief right, right. now. Right, obviously yeah, struggled yeah. with it last year, and um, yeah. you know I'm sure they weren't looking forward to having to you know face that attack. Like you said, they probably still get uh, night shivers just thinking about what Jamal Murray did last year. So I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that they're probably one of those teams that any and and whoever gets Denver in the first round is certainly one of yeah. those teams. You know, if you're a six seed or a seven seed, um, you know if that's Portland, if it's um, you know, if, if it ends up being Dallas or whoever, um, you've got to feel much better about your chances without Murray there. And we, we, you know, we haven't even seen just yet exactly who Denver plugs in there. Is it Monte Morris? Um, you know, they've got Compazzo. It's, it's, you know, like you were saying, it's, it's a decent roster of guys that you can plug in for him, but it's just not him. And it's, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that anybody has realistic hopes of them winning a title now. Uh, you know, if you can get through a round, you feel good about that. Maybe you can compete in the second round, but um, you know, it's still a, a, a tough Western conference. If everybody is back and healthy, obviously the Lakers meeting, if those guys are back and healthy, even if just one of those guys is ready to play in the playoffs, right. it's hard to imagine, you know, Denver being better than them. Yeah. I think with Utah, what you're seeing is one of those things that kind of happens, right? Um, when you, you've made your bones as a defensive, like, stalwart and then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you have elite offense and you no longer feel like defense is the identity defense is how you're gonna get the bacon home every night right uh so <laughs> I think with the jazz when you see them come out and 
the Wizards are able to just score on them. This is a team that no longer feels. Maybe maybe they know they had the, the, the elite defense thing in their back pocket, and when they need it, they can access it, and they're going to be a tough out. But I think on a night-to-night basis, they don't see themselves as that scrappy bunch that, you know, made their bones on the defensive end. They're now, you know, they're a sexy three-point shooting team, and it's easy to get be intoxicated by that, right? When you watch yourself score 135 points and you're spraying threes from, you know, Bogdanovich and Mitchell and Joe Ingles and even Mike Conley is letting it fly this year and, you know, Royce O'Neal, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you think to yourself, man, we're a freaking offensive team now. We're offensive juggernaut. That's how we're going to beat teams now. We don't got to do the sort of nitty-gritty hard work on defense the way we used to because now we're a sexy offensive team. And I think that's what you've seen at certain points in the season. And I think that's what ultimately last season when they struggled in the regular season – it was them, I, you know, Rudy was kind of on a personal strike <laughs> because they weren't paying, because they weren't passing him the ball. But, you know, I think they got it right again this season. I, I'm not too worried about them. I think they're going to be fine in the playoffs. Ultimately, when they don't win in the playoffs, it'll probably be because of offense again, as it has yeah. been in the past. But I think their defense is going to be fine. I think they're going to be really, really tough to beat. I'm, you know what, what I'm curious about? Thinking back to that um, to that game, the, the, one of the best games of the season, I think, them in Phoenix, uh, which, you know, these are the, the one and two teams in, in the West. And who knows, maybe there's even, um, you know, even more of a comfortable gap for them now. I guess you still got the Clippers in that conversation as well. But, you know, the Nuggets maybe fade here a little bit. Um, Phoenix, you know, one of the things that really gave Utah problems a couple of years back was, you know, they I think they had two matchups in a row with Houston in the playoffs. And right, right, um, yeah. thinking about how much of a challenge that it was for them where, you know, Gobert is obviously all world defender, you know, easily, if not the best defender in the league, then top two and is, you know, one defense player there a couple of times. Um, the challenge that Chris Paul kind of presented for him as a guy that um, – you know, is, is really comfortable taking a shot that um, Utah dares teams to shoot, or at least in the past has dared teams to shoot with that mid-range mm-hmm. jumper because it's not efficient for most guys. But Chris Paul will knock it down in a 55% clip if you let him take it. And, you know, I remember Chris Paul going off for a 40-point game, you know, in one of those instances in the playoffs. Um, we don't see him pull that rabbit out of his hat, but we do watch him kind of get more aggressive against Utah. Historically, we've seen that. So that becomes an interesting matchup. And obviously that would be really far down the line. That'd be a conference finals matchup at this point right now. So it's still really early to, to kind of project that. But, you know, for a team like that, you know, I could see Chris Paul and Devin Booker gladly, you know, kind of taking shots that Utah's going to allow them to take that those guys aren't afraid to take and can knock down really, I won't say easily, but it's, you know, it's, it's certainly within their wheelhouse. Um, you know, Booker's been more aggressive about getting to the basket, but, you've got to take a whole lot away from a team like Phoenix in a year like this with the roster they've built and their two top guys. Um, so it'll be really interesting. You know, I, I, I think Utah's fine. I, I think that, um, you know, it, it would have been natural, whether this is a cool down for them, you know, still winning at a pretty good clip or not. Um, they're, they're so far ahead of everybody else as far as record. The net rating is, is you know, a massive lead over everybody else. They've been so dominant. So I don't know. We've seen this a couple times the last few years where, you know, Giannis and the Bucks have been the same way where they just lap the field 
um, in the regular season and it doesn't quite work out, um, you know, and, you know, lo and behold, the the Bucks have had a team that is really, really three point happy and kind of takes a ton of threes the same way Utah does. Um, So it'll be interesting to see kind of, you know, if they don't figure it out and kind of get to the promised land this year, Utah, what it is that holds them up because um, they are very reliant on the three ball. Um, they do have a defense that, you know, works against just about everybody, but maybe has a little bit of a hole against the team that could be their best competition in the West. So it'll be interesting to watch. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash show 23 and get started. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. I wanted to, I, I wanted to uh, also hit you on, on the piece you wrote about rebounding a couple of weeks ago because it was fascinating to me. Uh, rebounding is kind of like, <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of like my white whale, I guess, um, when it comes to the NBA and, and the kind of tug of war between the analytics community and the, you know, older community, let's put it that way. Um, because I always remember this, Chris, um, you know, a few years ago having a really almost an hour long and it wasn't an argument. It was a discussion with Sam Hinkie when he was in Philly about rebounding oh, wow. <laughs> and him, <laughs> him saying, you know, it just isn't, it's not that important anymore. Rebounding doesn't matter. And I kept saying to him, look, rebounding is a very simple concept. There's no, like, I don't think you can advance number rebounding. Rebounding only does two things. It ends the other team's possession or it extends your possession. That's all a rebound does. <laughs> it right. doesn't do anything else. And so if points per possession are important to you, then I would think you would want to have as many of possessions that you could possibly have to score points. So we went back and forth, and I don't think either of us really convinced the other one, but just tell, <laughs> I mean, the findings that you found from people, because I know the game's different now because there's so many threes and long rebounds, but, you know, I think you used Drummond as an example. This guy inhales rebounds. That's what he does. And, you know, you could have had him for a ham sandwich at the trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, maybe a half ham sandwich. Um, and damn, I wish I could have. I, I wish I had hit up 
Sam Hinky before I wrote the story because <laughs> I was I was looking for somebody anybody to you know to take the the bait on that and just say that it, it doesn't matter at all and nobody would say that I you know I asked Quinn Snyder about it and he and I I you know I led the question by saying I, I get that it's kind of it'll sound like a silly question in some ways I kind of mean it in a facetious manner. And he, I asked him, like, does rebounding matter anymore? He, he kind of paused for three seconds. He was like, wait, you, you're really asking that? Yeah. Um, you know, and so, you know, it, it's clearly it matters. And I knew that when I wrote the piece. Like I said, I think it was more of a nuanced kind of tongue-in-cheek sort of presentation to ask it that way. But I do think that there's something to be said for the fact that, like you said, in the findings, um, and, and obviously these are one-off situations and most teams that are good in the NBA can rebound or are good at rebounding. But, you know, when I wrote the piece, and I think it may still be the case, you know, the Pelicans have the best rebound percentage in the league, certainly yeah. offensively, but overall as well. And I think defensive rebounding, which obviously that really matters. Um, Orlando was kind of leading that by a pretty good margin when I wrote the story. And, you know, at the time I wrote the piece, neither team was really solidly in the playoff race. I did a whole podcast with Zach Lowe yesterday about, the teams in the West that are kind of knocking on that door in the playoffs. And we didn't even mention the Pelicans because they're, you know, he didn't deem them necessary to, to discuss. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you have that, you have a team like golden state that I think when I wrote the piece was sandwiched right in between Minnesota and Houston um, and rebound percentage. And, you know, I think what I found in writing the piece is that um there are a whole lot of things in the league now that have kind of mattered a whole lot more this year, last year, the last few years than they have historically, obviously three point shooting being the biggest of them. And you can certainly overcome rebounding disparities. If you're really, really um, aggressive about shooting threes and you hit them at a high clip is what I think it comes down to. And yeah. I, and I, you know, yeah. I don't, I, I wasn't, I don't think anybody would seriously tell you it doesn't matter. You can't be horrible and rebounding and, and make a, <laughs> right. you know, mount a real run to, to win a championship. You know, I, I mentioned in the piece so that the th- that's last what I was going to say, Chris. Yeah, is it what you um, what you just uh, illuminated is that look. I think if you play in big men, important minutes like Chris Stapps and Montrez, for ex- for example, that's going to be a problem for you at certain points in the playoffs that you can't end these possessions. Right. And, you know, that's it. That is what it is. But in a regular season where it's the game is just a little bit different, it's not as important. But when you not being able to end big possessions in the playoffs, that's a problem. (laughs) That's a a problem. Absolutely. And I mean, I I think that's there's a lot of stuff. And I mean, that's frankly the conversation we were just having a minute ago about Utah is like there's a lot of stuff with regular season numbers that, um you know, that looks really good that I think at one point, even a couple of years ago, would have been totally convincing where, you know, I, I think somebody pulled up a few days ago that, um, you know, the net rating relative to the rest of the league that Utah would be a top 10 team all time in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I think of the other nine teams that are on that list, six of them have won titles. And quite frankly, you know, I, I didn't look at the other teams on the list, but I, I would venture to guess that Milwaukee might have been one of them, too. And so yeah. there, there are all sorts of things that, like, you can get through a regular season, and quite frankly, you might be able to dominate a regular season, but if you can't do certain things, if you really struggle in half court, or, you know, if you have a lead ball handler that really doesn't shoot well, you know, as a jump shooter and kind of freezes up when it comes time to shoot, 
and a point guard, you know, quite frankly, with Bledsoe that, that doesn't shoot well. Um, you know, that there are things that you're an outlier to begin with. And so whenever you've got an outlier, you've got some weird stuff going on to begin with, good or bad. And so, yeah, rebounding, clearly it matters. You know, and I like, I felt kind of bad, you know, because I'm, I, I felt like it was a serious piece and maybe the headline kind of, you know, I think there were a number of people that, you know, just Chris, retweeted DA, it. And they said, DA is, is honoring the legacy of Buck Williams, my boy. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what's going on right man. now. That's my I, man. Hey, man, I respect him too. I'm sitting here working on a book about the 90s mix. And so if, I, if I'm bold enough to say rebounding doesn't matter, I feel like I've got to have some real proof in there. I, I, I talked to Buck. And, and, hey, I think it was Riley who said, you know, rebounds – no rebounds, no rings. No rebounds, um, no rings. That's and, right. And hell, we look. You know what was that? The thirteen finals, the fourteen finals, when you know Chris Bosh saved that rebound to kick it out to Ray Allen, um, and that was right after Greg Popovich pulled uh, Tim Duncan, Duncan off the floor. Yeah. So I mean, it, it clearly matters in big moments and big games in the playoffs. Um, it matters in the regular season if you're really bad at it. And I think the main point. Because, like I said, I think the headline was like a cutesy headline for the story I wrote. Um, I think the main point that I was making is that um, you do have some statistical inflation for somebody like Andre Drummond, uh, where if you're grabbing 12 or 13 defensive rebounds a game or maybe 10 or 11, um, there are at least five, six of those a night, maybe more, that you're getting where there's nobody really contesting the rebounds with you, uh, you know, contesting you for rebounds except for your teammates because most teams, and, and Doc Rivers said this, most teams just find it more valuable to just get back on defense sure, so they're not beaten in transition. Guard to three. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so that was the yeah. bigger thing. And, you know, and I think uh, Steve Clifford gave me a great quote just saying that, you know, it does matter, but the guys that you think of to kind of crash the offensive glass now are not big drum and types by themselves anymore. Now you've got guys on the perimeter that, you know, because the rebounds are bouncing up further with the longer shots, you need defensive rebounders that can kind of get out to the three point line if they need to, to get those boards. And, you know, because they're contesting, they're, they're dealing with guards that are trying to come in from the three point line and that they might not see that they might not get a chance to box out. And so it, it's just, you know, if I had to really put, you know, kind of a sub headline, on that story, you know, if the headline was "Does rebounding matter anymore?" the subheadline would be like, "Yeah, it does," but it, it, it's changed, and it, I think that's right. the more that's the bigger takeaway. It matters if you're really good at it or really bad at it, and I think it it it's changed certainly from the last 10, 15 years. Well, and 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 another part of it to me is you know the notion of if rebounding doesn't matter, then you can you can extrapolate and say, well, then triple doubles aren't uh, aren't important anymore. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like exactly, and so. You know, and I'm agnostic on the whole Westbrook thing, but what I've always said to people, because I, I've heard this, you know, I've heard people dismiss it. You know, a lot of Rockets fans when he was in Oklahoma City would dismiss it, for example, when he and Harden were going up against each other for MVP, say, well, you know, he's just rebounding missed free throws. And I always used to say, isn't he standing next to a seven foot, you know, seven foot New Zealander named... <laughs> You know, Stephen Adams, who can go get the rebound if he really wants to go get it, he can go get it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not like, you know, there's a sign saying, let Russ have the rebound. You know what I mean? So, I mean, they can go, they can keep him. He's a six, four guard. You can keep him off the glass. If you really want to do it, you can keep him off the glass and people don't do it. Um, and so to me, it's like, is it Russ Westbrook's fault 
that he goes and gets rebounds that nobody else seems to want to get. I mean, why is that his fault? You know what I mean? Like that's where I'm kind of, I can't, I, I, I can't dismiss somebody who aggressively tries to either, again, extend his team's possession or end the other team's possession. I think that's a good thing in basketball. Yeah, (laughs) but I think what's different too now is if rebounding is all you do, it's hard to justify having you out on the court. Exactly. Sure, Um, sure. That's what I think it it boils down to in the sense that, because, you know, back in the days, we used to just think like part of defense was rebounding. So if somebody was great at rebounding, we assume they were great defenders, but that doesn't necessarily have to be true. Like you might be somebody that's good enough to get rebounds for your team, but like, how good are you guarding pick and roll? How switchy are you? Um, do you bring a skill on offense as well? Like, you know, I, I think it's hard to justify having a guy out there just for rebounding in a way that, you know, say certain guys are allowed to be out there just for three pointers. Right. It's just different. Exactly. And I think that that, you know, as I was saying, the takeaway is that, yes, it matters, but it's changed. I think that's the biggest part of it that's changed because someone, um, a regular reader of mine, tweeted and said, you know, I'm I love the piece, but I'm a little bit surprised you didn't mention like Rodman or any of the, you know, the star rebounders of the 90s. And I said, well, I was about to. But, you know, comparing Rodman to somebody like Drummond does Rodman a disservice, given that he was like a defensive player of the year. He had yes. another skill. I mean, he got in the tussles with Carmelo and everything else like he was an agitating sort of player um, that had a, a really obvious skill, even though he wasn't this great offensive player. I mean, he, he was a really, really good defender. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head, man. Like it, it's Drummond, two things. One, his contract was out of whack uh, yeah, for someone right, that, right. you know, if you wanted yeah. to trade for him, okay, you've got to swallow a $30 million, you know, um, charge on your payroll, you know, a prorated amount of that. And people were like, well, that's what makes your story and your headline unfair is that, you know, of course, Drummond has value, but who's going to want him at $30 million? I said, but yeah, but that's the point is that somebody as recently as three or four years ago thought he was worth that and gave him that. And now you look at him. And part of it was that he was seen as some incredible rebounder type of guy. That was part of the equation that went into paying him. And then they decided that, like, oh, hell no. You know, it's not worth anywhere near that. And, I mean, also, he's 27. Like, he's not 34. Um, right. And so he, he's in what should be his prime, um, you know, if you look at, like, a career arc and everything like that. And very quickly, I think, not just him, you know, and I used a couple other examples in the piece, Ennis Cantor and Tristan Thompson, who were both making either max or kind of near max salaries on their last deals. And then when they got into this deal – and these are guys that largely rebound. They do a little bit of other stuff. And, you know, Cantor has some offensive Cantor can skill score. for sure. Yeah, yeah he, he can scores. definitely score. But, you know, they're, they're mostly – their reputations are mostly rebounders. You know, they're not yeah. great defenders. Um, and those are guys that saw their salaries cut by more than half um, when we – you know, when you move to the next contract. And, and in Cantor's case, um, I think cut by something like three quarters. And and so I think Drummond is kind of a, a casualty of that. Um and quite frankly, like he's still very good at rebounding. But, you know, when I wrote the piece was at the bottom of the league and, you know, efficiency at the rim. Um, and so yeah. even when he's grabbing those rebounds, like is he able to put them back on offense? And, you know, obviously is playing for a bad team. But 
Um, you know, and I think that alone gives him more value on a team like the Lakers, where you only need to fill in certain holes when you're at full strength and you're going to have a lot more value to a team like the Lakers. Um, and I've said this before, you know, when LeBron is back and, you know, God willing comes back healthy and gets to the basket and you've got to throw two guys at him. If he misses, you know, who's covering Drummond on a box out? Can anybody do right. it? Um, let alone Anthony Davis. And if he's in, in the mix as well. So it, it'll be really, really interesting to watch. Like I, I think he absolutely can have more value, but I, I don't think it's unfair to say that the league has done kind of a 180 on how they value guys that they mostly see as rebounders. And I think um, that absolutely is, is the big yeah. difference between the previous area and this one. Well, that money is now going to shooters. I mean, that money's going yeah. to Bertans. It's going to Joe Harris. It's going to guys that are elite shooters. You know, that's who's getting $18, $20 million a year now. So, hey, Chris, um, man, this is great. Appreciate your time, brother. And, um, you know, please stay safe out there in the windy. You have you may have to actually go cover the local team. They're a little interesting now, you know. <laughs> so we'll uh, see, man. I, I looked up yeah. yesterday after the last loss because who did they? Who were they playing last? Was it Memphis or no? They had one other game last night. Um, but I think they're zero and seven in clutch games now since Is that like right? March first, wow. and it's like they they wow. just keep keep losing games. And I would say to some teams that they have no business losing to, they're still gelling. But yeah, yeah it, it, I don't I don't think this is going to be a playoff year. They've, they've had the worst record in the league now for two years against teams that are above 500. And I, 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 and I think that's OK in, in terms of the trade they just made, because I still think it it's helpful in some ways. I think they'd be fascinating if they were able to get Lonzo this offseason um, yeah, because was... it, they, they really need a point guard and somebody other than Zach Levine who can just handle the ball and doesn't need it as far as scoring but can right. shoot it, who can defend because their defense is not that great. Um, they're interesting. They're, they're, they're not quite there yet, but they're definitely interesting, and I agree with you on that. Yeah. Well, look, man, thank you again. Appreciate your time. And, um, man, safe travels if you do get on the road, if you are on the road, uh, when we get to the playoffs, man. I really appreciate that. I look forward to seeing you guys out, Chris. soon. Thanks, yes, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, y'all. So make sure you leave that five-star review on Apple Podcasts on iTunes, anywhere you listen to this fine, fine program. And if it's less than five stars, for all means, keep it to yourself. Later. Later.